David Neely initially got into tech as a way to inject some new life into his career. Decades later, David is still in the world of technology and has been instrumental in helping Transamerica maintain its technological edge. In this episode, David and Ian discuss why it's so important to avoid complacency and what it means to be an IT leader. From always being one step ahead of the latest updates and upgrades, to investigating and then implementing the idea of citizen developers, David has found a way to increase the bandwidth of services Transamerica can provide while inspiring innovation and excitement among his employees. This podcast is sponsored by the Lightning Platform by Salesforce. Salesforce just introduced the Lightning Platform Mobile, the low-code mobile app development platform that empowers anyone to easily build, publish, and manage AI-powered mobile apps for employees and for customers. Find out more at salesforce.com slash build mobile apps. Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at The Mission, and I have special guest on the other line. Dave, how's it going? Hey, how are you? You know, things are good. Uh, it's uh, after the Super Bowl, and you're sitting in Atlanta, is that right? That's correct. We had a great time this past weekend. Did the Patriots fans destroy the city, or is it still intact? No, it's still standing. You know, Atlanta survived a lot, so we can handle a few rowdy fans. Indeed. All right. So, you know, we want to get into a little bit of your background, how you got into your current role, and get into really a bunch about citizen development. You've implemented a really interesting program and how to expand kind of the capacity of your team. But first, how'd you get into IT? I got into IT a couple of, sad to say, decades ago, basically as a as a career change from, from previous job. And I learned how to write software and, and came about at the right time during the kind of the software boom, the dot-com boom and started my technology career as a software developer. And so in your current role, what is the like scope of responsibilities at Transamerica that you're dealing with on a day-to-day basis? Sure. So I've been with Transamerica for going on 19 years in various different roles. As I said, I started even with Transamerica as a a software engineer, and I've had various responsibilities since. Currently, I lead all technology for the entity within Transamerica called Transamerica Financial Networks. And that's basically a, a group of organizations that's focused on distribution, selling of the Transamerica financial products. So my responsibilities uh, are leading those teams that develop software for those business channels within TFN. Now of that group, there's a company called World Financial Group that's the largest distribution group within TFN. And I work out of the World Financial Group headquarters in Atlanta. And so what does your IT organization look like? How is it structured and how do you, uh, how do you kind of manage the team across, you know, because I mean, I think Transamerica is a little different in the way that it's structured. So how do you, how are you aligned functionally? Sure. We've got a lot of different technology type groups across Transamerica. My group, the technology group, is focused mainly on the development of software products for our businesses. So things like infrastructure, desktop support, 
uh, network support, those are handled by various other entities within the Transamerica family of companies. Our teams are structured into agile teams. We have both our, our full-time employees and we have a, an offshore contracting component. And we work the business to develop business solutions based on the current needs. So when you were looking at this idea of citizen development, how did this kind of come about? Was it something where you needed additional capacity for your team or was it something that you had heard about? Like what was the kind of impetus for, for building this program? Well, it's interesting. We, we started our journey with Salesforce a couple of years ago because we knew we needed a, a scalable cloud-based platform to handle the growth that we've been seeing in, in our company. And growth is a wonderful thing, and, and uh, that's what we strive for every day. But then we, as a technology component of that, how do we support that growth, keep our systems running, and, and also produce enough functionality to, to satisfy the business needs? So we went with Salesforce because they obviously were an industry leader in that space. And beyond just the core CRM capabilities, it's actually a complete development platform where we can create our own custom application specific, you know, to a business problem. So we started down this path with very little experience and uh, we were building up our, our staff you know, in skills and we brought in some consultants to help us get off the ground. So once we kind of got past that initial hurdle and we got a little bit more comfortable with, with our teams developing applications in Salesforce, our success manager from Salesforce came to us and said, hey, have you ever heard of a citizen, what we call, Salesforce calls a citizen developer? And we hadn't. And so he explained it to us and explained the concept of, of certain users outside of technology who are technically savvy who can then create custom applications on the Salesforce platform with the proper training that didn't require the, the direct involvement of the technology or the IT groups. And so it was, it was an interesting concept and we had to kind of wrap our, wrap our minds around it as to how this would work. But when, when he brought it to us as a group and I started thinking about it, the more I thought about it and the more I listened to how uh, it was implemented in different areas, it made a lot of sense to me because it could increase our bandwidth, increase what we're able to deliver, you know, with true business value, while at the same time, me as, as a leader of an organization, not having to request additional headcount or, or have additional budgetary concerns necessarily, especially in the very beginning, we're just getting the program off the ground. Yeah, so what was the you know timeline from proof of concept towards when you were able to launch something? Specifically with citizen developers, we we surfaced the concept, you know, first through just the, the leadership team, both both a combination of technology and our and business. And we kicked the idea around and, and discussed the pros and cons. And then we decided that, you know, this is something that we think we want to pursue. So the overall timeline till we had our first functioning app out was probably somewhere in the six to eight month time frame. Oh, wow. That's quick. 
it was quick and it uh, it felt like longer because we we did a lot of stuff in those six to eight months to to try to uh, get this thing off the ground but yeah it's uh the the beauty of the concept and the beauty of the platform is that it it doesn't take because all the all of the underlying what I'll call the plumbing is there the data's there you know pre-built objects are there so the the person or persons creating the application they've got these these pre-existing libraries uh, of data and and user interface objects to construct these applications, you know, depending on on how complex the application is, and our first app was was a very simple app, but it was very functional, and it, and we're still using it today, and it's it's providing a lot of value. What was the first one? The first one that we had completely as a custom application was a survey app, and we had we had been using a third party survey tool that we obviously had a contract with and we're, we're paying for, so we were able to create the same functionality, but more customized to our business on the Salesforce platform and drop, you know, a paid service and roll it out and provide, you know, a lot of value. I mean, we use the survey app with our end users who are agents out in the field who sell our products. And so getting their feedback is vitally important to us as a business because we support them in their businesses. They're basically in the in the world financial group model especially these are independent contractors entrepreneurs who are out building their own business selling financial services products so anything we can give them as a tool to help build their business is you know very much appreciated and valuable so getting their feedback on what works and what doesn't work for all of our other technology offerings is vital so it's a it's a simple application but yet the value it provides is way beyond the effort it took to create it yeah, and I mean, talk through some of that that idea to, you know, go custom versus out of the box. You know, you've talked a lot about customization and kind of when IT leaders should say yes or say no to this. Like, how do you feel about customization in general? It's it's an interesting topic and and I'll tell you the the culture that we've come out of prior to our Salesforce years was very much custom everything. We would we would customize the heck out of any product we got our hands on and then built a lot of a lot of stuff from the ground up with our internal development teams. But even even off the shelf products, we would get in and customize it to make it really fit. And while that's got some benefits in that you get a highly customized product, yeah, every time you make a customization, you're incurring technical debt. So that customization has to be tracked. It has to be monitored. Every time there's an underlying upgrade to the base platform, you have to ensure that these customizations still work. There are no breaking changes, no features that you programmed against are being deprecated. So we've shifted our mentality actually in the past few years away from super customizing and really trying to get as much value off the shelf out of the box as possible. Now, if there's something that we can't do that, then of course we'll do customizations. But uh, we really feel that that we get a lot more staying power and less maintenance if we can use functionality that's part of the base platform. So, a uh, big believer in customization, and and we have skills skill sets across both our citizen developer group and our our core development group that can do those customizations, but. 
we really try to vet those now, whereas our mindset previously was was kind of it was customized first. Now we're trying to do out of the box first and only customized when necessary. I mean, I think that's a really important distinction, right? Because this kind of what we talk about ticket taking mentality of the past can easily shift into a, hey, everybody needs their own customized thing. And sometimes that's just not in people's best interest because they don't understand the third, you know, fourth order effects. How do you do governance and how do you like accurately communicate that to the field? Because I think that that's one of the things that might might be challenging is that people don't understand like why governance is important, why customization might not be in their best interest. Yeah, absolutely. And, and our governance model is strong. I'll say it has to be. You know, we're a highly regulated industry in financial services. Pretty much any, any regulatory body that exists out there, we're, we're having to interact in some kind of way, whether it's with health information, credit card data and PCI, everything around selling securities. So we're highly regulated, and we have to have a strong governance process because we go through audits uh, every year to yeah. ensure that all our controls are in place and, and that, you know, we're doing the things we're supposed to doing. We have uh, trackability and both at a federal level and there's, there's many states that impose their own set of regulations on top of what we get from the federal level. So that's just the world we live in. So when we were looking at, at governance specifically within Salesforce, we worked with the Salesforce team who brought in a, a governance specialist who's worked with, because we, we had a good handle on governance from uh, our own software that we developed. When we got into the Salesforce world, like, well, some of our controls didn't necessarily apply because it's just a different platform when you're on a cloud-based system like that. So we brought in a specialist from Salesforce who worked with us. Uh, we had a series of workshops and we developed a robust governance model that uh, consists of various councils who have responsibility at various stages of the development process, both from a, an initiation ideation stage where we're brainstorming, you know, the art of the possible and what can we do all the way through prioritization of other work after it's been determined that, yes, this is something we want to pursue. How do we get it prioritized? How do we get the work assigned? How do we ensure that the work that's being done is following the guidelines that we've established and all of our controls? And then finally, how do we then migrate that product out to you know our end users? So with that governance process in place, we're able to have development going on multiple tracks, both internally to our development teams and also with the with the citizens developers, and that funnels through a common process, even though the the starting points may be a little different depending on who's working on it. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting piece about the financial services specifically. I mean, how have you seen the field change over time to be more tech forward or tech first? Because I think that that was one of the things that initially might have been challenging is that, you know, consumers weren't necessarily mobile first or or tech first, but immediately, you know, in the past 10 years, it's it's got caught up and now it's expected. What are you thinking about with in terms of mobile for your customers and then also internally? Yeah, well, absolutely. Because, I mean, mobile now is not even a, it's not even something that you have to consider versus just an expectation. It's just like the air we breathe. It's 
it's got to be mobile, even specifically more so in our particular business model of working with a, a field force who are out. You know, these are not people who are sitting in an office. These are people who are out in the world selling product, meeting people, making sales. They've got to have mobile solutions. So from that standpoint, especially being on the Salesforce platform where mobile is, is kind of baked in, it's, uh, it really do, allows us to, to do what we need to do and have those tools out there. In the financial services industry, sometimes technology moves at a slower pace. Historically, we've still got many of our, our product admin systems on mainframe. And there's COBOL and there's, there's older technologies. And it's just so as an industry as a whole, sometimes it may actually lag a little bit, especially with the back end systems, it'll lag a little bit behind other industries. But on the front end, the people out on the ground who are selling and have to be where their, their clients are, whether it's in a coffee shop, at the kitchen table, on the subway, where, you know, wherever they can meet people. They've got to have those tools available. So being able to provide a, a complete mobile suite of technologies, which we do provide for our agents, has really uh, transformed how they do business. And new, new people coming into the financial services field as, as a financial services agent, uh, the younger generation just expects it. You know, people who've been doing it 30 years, they're still comfortable pulling out a piece of paper and, and starting an application or doing things paper-based or notebook-based. But the newer folks coming in, they expect mobile tools because that's what they've kind of grown up on. So we're fortunate to be able to provide those for them. Why, why do you think it's important to keep changing and trying new things? It seems like, you know, the, the shift to citizen development, for example, is something that is obviously like growing, but it's still nowhere near industry standard. I think a lot of people are kind of just you know, transparently just worried about giving those powers to regular employees because it can be distracting from their work potentially or or whatever. You've helped transition your team from like paperless stuff, you know, to DocuSign and toward apps and all this. What like, how do you view this type of innovation and, and why it's necessary? For our, for our company, technology is the driving force. We can't staff up enough to provide the functionality that we would have to and have a profitable business model. So technology is at the core of what we do as a company to be able to provide those services out to our field. So when the concept of citizen development, any concept that comes along that allows us to potentially do more with either less or even with current staffing models has immense value to us. So that's why the cloud in general, where you've got infinite, almost near infinite scalability is key. So as we grow year over year, we're not constantly chasing the next level of hardware or having to do these endless upgrades that uh, we've been in, you know, in past years, we are constantly chasing the, the next round of hardware improvements to just kind of keep your, your head above water to keep up with the growth. That's really interesting because, I mean, you use consultants and all sorts of different stuff to build your IT organization. So it's an interesting distinction of like, IT is just really expensive. It's expensive to hire engineers and all of this. So in order to maintain 
the type of business model like you have and maintain profitability, like you need to look outside the box. And I think it's probably the same way for every company. They just might not realize it, right? Oh, it's very expensive. Consultants are, are you know, they're, they're highly trained, but they're, they come at a premium. You know, they're very proud of what they do is the way I like to phrase it. I mean, and, and they fill a need, but I've long held that you're never going to grow your business to the next level with consultants. They come in, they, they serve a purpose, they'll get you off the ground. They got us off the ground and consultants are wonderful. But, but if you put too much of your, the lifeblood of what you're doing to produce for your field in the hand of consultants, you're taking a huge risk. And so we've, I think we've been very targeted in our use of consultants, brought them in, but you have to have an exit plan. And then with that exit plan, you transition to a, a core team of you know, internal developers. We have at least internal developers and we have our offshore, offshore partners, but we don't treat them as consultants where we just say, take this and go do. They're integrated in our teams. So there's less risk there because there's there's no silos of, of productivity that only our offshore partners are doing. So we just really treat them as staff augmentation as an extended part of our team. So that's that's a differentiation between a consulting group who comes in to perform a certain task or work with some technology we might not be familiar with. And then, of course, our citizen developers, which and to, to an earlier comment you made, we had to fight some of the – and honestly, even in my own my own thinking, we had to come to grips with what that means. Because when you say there's always traditionally in, in IT, and I've been in the IT industry for a number of years, pushing 25, and people get protective of their space and their responsibilities. And, uh, you know, that's certainly true of IT as anywhere else, maybe more so. So when you have someone called a citizen developer who's outside of IT, you know, the developers, they're like, hey, well, what do you mean a citizen developer? What is that? Yeah. I'm a developer. Developers totally. belong in IT. What's this about? So we really had to had to first understand the concept, uh, buy into it, and then sell that as a leadership group to our staff and, and make them understand that this is not a threat to what you do. This is an enhancement that actually takes some of the pressure off of the teams because we can be delivering business value through that channel with the proper governance, which we didn't install for the system developers. It's not just the wild west where they're throwing out apps into the ecosystem. It's highly, highly governed, but it's an avenue where value can be delivered while the, the true core technical team is working on much more complex solutions. One of the things I told my leadership team is that I really don't want one of our highly trained, highly paid developers producing apps that you can just drag and drop and, and click. So those applications are wonderful and they have business value like we've talked about, but that's not the best use of time for our highly trained staff. I mean, they're working on complex data integrations. They're working on baseline infrastructure tying in other external systems and, and all the rest that really requires the skills of a full-blown developer. So even if we didn't have citizen developers, I would have been hard-pressed to have my development staff working on the kind of things that our citizen developers work on. 
And if it gets to the point where a citizen developer project is beyond that skill set, then we bring it back into the into the technology side and have our developers finish it out as the need arises. So once we sold that concept that this is not a threat, this is an enhancement, this is really some additional bandwidth to where we get a request for a, a simple app, I don't have to now pull my, my top guy off something that, that really requires their skills. So we sold it that way and, and once the kind of the light clicked on, and it was a series of communications. You know, we had to, we kind of had to sell it to the team over and over again. On the technology side, it was it was a different conversation and selling job over on the business side, and we can talk about that too. But but specifically for the development side, once we explained that concept and people kind of grasped hold of it, the light went on, and they said, "Okay, yeah, this does make a lot of sense." Yeah, it really. Do. I mean, this is it's a new age, right? With with this idea of developers, because I think for a long time, you know, a developer was a developer, right? Like that there was only one type. I mean, obviously there's, you know, there's Java and there's all sort all sorts of types of developers. So I don't mean to uh to say to say that's all my developer friends out there. But I just mean like you were the one writing code, basically is what I'm saying. And I think with this with this new type of developer, which is, you know, called the citizen developer, this idea of like the no code developer is a really valuable tool as a first look at hey can we get this done with someone who you know doesn't have the cs degree or went through the coding boot camps or has been uh you know writing code for the last 20 years this ask could get completed before it even steps to you and we can save your bandwidth for the hardest projects that we're working on and uh, i mean to me that's that's empowering right Oh, very empowering. And and when you look at it from a technology leadership, I mean, the thing that we always do is how do we direct resources to get the most value out of the time spent? Because there's there's always more work in the backlog than we have resources. And that's always going to be the case. That's And that's a good thing. It means we're always thinking of new things to, to drive the business and provide value. But then you look at, okay, how do I as a leader put my resources where they make the most sense? And having this resource pool available of, of citizen developers really allows you a lot more flexibility in managing your teams and getting value out of them. Uh, that's really interesting. I'd love so let's dive into the piece that you you said about convincing the business because I think that that's the other half of the equation. Right. So what we didn't do, you know, we didn't go out and hire a bunch of citizen developers. These these were people who we identified that have day jobs. They've got other responsibilities that they were hired to do in the company. But we knew that we had at least some individuals who had expressed interest and enthusiasm in the platform in general. So we, we felt pretty good that we were going to get some response. We actually got a very good response. But we did have to sell to the staff who would out of the staff, we would get our pool of citizen developers, what that meant, what it didn't mean. And then to their managers and their managers managers uh, it, through the upline, you know, what did that mean for their, for their day responsibilities and how do we strike that balance? And so we had a lot of conversations with the business leadership uh, at all levels to make them understand what we were looking for and the time commitments we envisioned 
coming out of this and then with the individuals themselves on what would be expected of them because this was not something where we could take people out of their job for two to three, four weeks and send them off to training to learn how to do citizen development. It was a commitment both from the company to provide time for training, but also from the individual that if they were motivated and they wanted to do this, they had to have some skin in the game and they had to commit to getting certain levels of training done without letting their, their daily responsibilities fall. And we were very upfront about, you know, it was not mandatory. We didn't tag anybody. You're a citizen developer now. It was voluntary because we wanted, we wanted the people who had the most enthusiasm who would really take it as a challenge that they enjoyed and understanding that they're building their own personal skill sets and making themselves more valuable in general, but who would take that enthusiasm and really run with it. And uh, so I mean, that, yeah. that was a, a really good approach, I think. Was this like a top-down mandated, hey, this is what we're doing, or was it more grassroots? And like, how did you communicate that to everyone and make sure that there was buy-in there? Yeah, it was... It's funny because it was kind of both. It was top down because you have to have buy-in at the top level because if those folks aren't on board, they're not going to support the management chains all down through to get to the, the line level staff. But it can't just be top level mandating because then people don't get it. You know, it's hard to get buy-in where you have just the, the, the top guy or, or, or top lady say, hey, y'all start doing this no concept, no ability for people to, to choose to join the program or have their you know voice heard. So we really, once we had buy-in at the top level of the business, then it was like, all right, now how do we take it to the, to the people on the ground, the front lines, put this out there and encourage people to, to join in and, and see what we see, what kind of response we get. So there was, it was two factor. Buying at the top, but not mandated at the top. Once you get the buy-in, then you have to come down to the to the line level and build the grassroots enthusiasm through a lot of communication. And we did we did some contests. We had a what we call an apathon. Yeah, once we had people who expressed some interest, we said, all right, we're gonna we're gonna give you all some time out of your workday. So the company, you know, had their piece of it. And then they had to do their piece, and, and we're gonna have a contest and gave them a set amount of time to work either as an individual or small teams completely on the business side. This is not technology involved to both do the training they needed to do to figure out how to create things and then actually create a proof of concept application and then present it to a panel of, of business and technology leaders as to what, why they did it, the value they thought it would bring, and uh, and there were some some simple prizes. What'd you give out? What were the prizes? Uh, you know, honestly, I'd have to go back. It was it, it was simple because it really wasn't about the prize. It was about the process. And uh, the prize was just a recognition because one of one of the cultural things in our company is we do a lot of recognition because that's that's actually part of our business model for motivating our agents. So we also do that internally. So we always like to have the recognition and. But the like the dollar value was was negligible. It was just a matter of here are the the people who who quote unquote won. But really, the winners were all the people that participated because they got to be part of this process and work on technology they had never worked with before. 
And out of that, we really kind of built the excitement across the teams where people weren't being mandated. Here's a new job responsibility. You've got to go do this new thing in addition to everything else. We had people volunteering once we explained it and gamified it. That's that's one of our current buzzwords in the industry, right? Gamification. Yeah. So when we when we gamified it and had people kind of buy in at a competition level, it uh, it sparked that interest and and then got people with their hands on it, and then really helped further cement the the ideas and the concepts that we we're putting out there. Yeah, it's really interesting, right? You know, we the way that we you know I'm a marketing nerd and I love. I, I think there's so much opportunity here to tell those stories of like citizen developers externally because it just shows such an amount of innovation in a company. Things like Appathons and all the hackathons and all this stuff is just, it's cool stuff. I mean, people want to work at companies where they feel empowered and especially sometimes like we all know that the current role that we're sitting in that we could do other stuff. And that's just, that's cool to hear. Absolutely. It's personal growth. It's, it's people who are, who are, I mean, we're talking hourly employees. These are not high level. It, it spans the gamut because it was open to everybody. Somebody literally working in the mailroom could volunteer to be a part of this. Nothing is, I mean, mailroom folks are great, but I'm just saying it, it spans all levels of the company. So it wasn't just a select few on the business side who we said, you can have the opportunity to be a citizen developer. We opened it up to everybody. And then, you know, we have to manage that. And there's, there's certain realities of, of what people can get done, but it was open to everybody and everybody can feel like they can have a voice and are empowered to learn some new skills. So it's a win for the company. We get more productivity and more bandwidth, but it's also a win for the individual who can say, hey, now I'm, I'm doing things that I never thought I'd be doing when I took this job. And to me, that's very compelling. Because, you know, a company is a collection of people and you got that people element is key. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things like as an IT organization, how would you find these people otherwise, right? Like that's that's part of the thing that's so exciting is like, especially with like low code developers, pretty much everyone under the age of 20 is mobile first right now anyways. So all of these folks like drag and drop tools are going to take them not that much time to learn. And if you have those folks that are just starting off their careers in the mailroom or in wherever it is, they could easily pick that stuff up. And, you know, two years from now, they could be a, a full salaried employee on the IT team if they, you know, have the requisite skills. Well, I'll just say the people that, that come out of that background too are so invested, more invested than somebody who maybe studied a particular thing in college and then came out and got a job in that field. When you have somebody who's kind of brought themselves out of a different a different skill set area into something new, those are the folks that are that are really just a hundred percent, hundred and ten percent raring to go, and uh, you get that enthusiasm, and then that enthusiasm spreads throughout the rest of the organization. In regards to innovation, we have to constantly be looking at how we operate as technology and and. You know, the landscape's constantly changing. I mean, the, techn the technical landscape today is vastly different than it was even five years ago. Ten years ago, back when I got into it, it was totally different. I mean, the business models, the technology models, the technology itself, vastly different. So one of the challenges as a technology leader is not to just get complacent and kind of fall into the same way of doing things because 
you quickly find out that you get left behind in a, in a particular industry or, or vertical. So this is just another way. And who knows what we we'll do in five years from now. It could be, we could be talking about something totally different that, uh, that we thought of as an yeah, industry I mean, or, or even t- cross technology. I mean, we've seen, this is just my, you know, my, my two cents on this is like, we've seen people, companies send budding leaders to get MBAs and pay for that in the past. And I think that there is the next level of this type of stuff is people sending their employees to a Lambda school or to a boot camp or code academy. And there's a few, there's a few organizations that do that, but I think it's going to be much more widespread like organizations do with MBAs in the not too distant future because for the cost of hiring an MBA, you know, sending them to a boot camp that costs 20 grand, you'd pay that for the search fees of uh, or the the placement fees of 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 the recruiter anyways. There's an opportunity to really help accelerate people's careers in that way. And even even the innovation advancements in the training space where you don't necessarily now have to send somebody away. Uh, we use we use the the Salesforce training platform Trailhead extensively, and when we were spinning up the both for our, our developers because there's there's obviously courses that are very very technical based, but very much so for the citizen developers as well. One of the first things we did as we developed this program was created custom what they call trail mixes, which are collections of modules that we want you know, our citizen developers to go through to get them their base level knowledge. So we didn't just say, oh, you want to be a citizen developer? We'll just go learn some stuff and we'll see what you can do. Totally. Targeted, targeted courses that they have to, that they have to complete, which tells us that they're motivated and they're invested. And it's not just paying lip service to it because it takes time and effort and they've got to get these badges. And then beyond the badges, there are certifications that, that people can attempt to, to pass. So the training opportunities are vastly different today than they were not, not very long ago. And so I think that's just going to lead more to, as you were saying, not just the old school model of send somebody to, to get an MBA and, and now expect them to be you know, skilled and motivated in uh, whatever area you want to put them towards as a management group. Let's get into the lightning round. It's going to be fast and easy questions, stuff you haven't heard before. You didn't get these ahead of time, no prep required, just like the Lightning platform, you know? It's uh, fast and easy. Are you ready? I'm ready. Number one, what app are you using on your phone that is the most fun? Uh, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably be a little boring and say it's, it's the reading apps because I read a good deal. And so I like the apps where I can read on my phone. Current phones are, are not big enough where it's actually a pretty pleasant experience to read. So so I use reading apps mostly for pleasure. Favorite use of AI or chatbots that you've seen recently? Uh, well, I use personally use the Amazon set of, uh, of AI devices all over the house. I'm, big, you know, I'm a technologist, so everything technology makes me excited and I'm, I'm an early adopter. So we've got Echo devices basically in every room. And every time I can get a new sensor, a new widget that I can tie into that ecosystem and, and have it do something for me by just talking to my little device, I'm there. So I love that stuff. Favorite time-saving tool? The mobile direct deposit of, or mobile deposit of checks. 
that's one of the oh, greatest so things good. you get to check. It's so it's so awesome. I mean, we used to draw. We forget how much we used to have to go and do things. I'm I'm using it like an online banking system, so I, I hardly ever have to set foot into a brick and mortar bank because the tools now, I can do everything on my phone. That is fantastic. That is a great one. We have not heard that one yet, and that is so true. I actually talked to the guy who uh, this is a while ago, the guy at USAA who originally was the one who, I don't know if it, this isn't a plug for USA, although I am a member. Cut that part, part I, out, that's Jonah. That's who I use. I'm with USAA. Oh, okay, great. Let's let Jonah leave this part in. Yeah, so I use, uh, I use US. Did you serve in the military? I did not. I did not. My grandfather on my wife's side did. Oh, awesome. Shout out to USA. They're great. But yeah, so I talked to the guy who, who was the one who launched that initiative, and they were like, Basically, you know, people in the military and and all over needed the ability to to do these mobile payments. And they were like, why don't we, you know, our whole thing is predicated on trust. Why don't we just trust them to do the right thing? And, you know, and if there's default rate, then we just end up having to deal with that. But our people need this. And their whole like organization, their like tech organization was like, yeah, this is great. Everybody's like, this is great. And he's like, you know who thought it wasn't great? Our lawyers. <laughs> but eventually, yeah, they ended up launching it and it was like a smash hit success. And yeah, I mean, they pioneered, you know, non ATM, you know, paying the ATM fees for people so they don't have to have ATMs and they were mobile first on checks. Yeah, it's, it is such a great thing. Gosh, that, that was a good one. It really is. Favorite podcast or recent book that you're listening to or reading? Oh, let me see. I, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. No reason. I just uh, don't really seem to have the time for it. Right now, I'm I'm reading a series of a series of historical fiction, which I like those because you actually learn something. So it's it's fictional characters, but based in real historical settings and reacting to historical events. So I'm I'm reading a series of books that are set in uh, 18th century Scotland, and I've been enjoying that quite a bit. That's awesome. We do we do a bunch of historical fiction writing and stuff at the mission, so I, I love that stuff as well. It's so it's so fun. Favorite one day getaway in Atlanta? We'll go down to Centennial Park and just walk. Centennial Park was built during the Olympics that were here in the eighties, and it's a great a great public space down in the city, and you can you can be in the heart of the city but have green space, and there's a lot of activities down there, so that's always a great time for a quick one day. I've done that myself. My 21st birthday was in uh, was in Atlanta, and uh, I did that exact thing as part of that weekend. So, okay, what technology are you most excited about going forward? It's got to be the 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 furtherance of the cloud. I mean, the cloud has totally transformed technology in every aspect. Maybe not desktop, even desktop, you could say, but certainly on the infrastructure side, on the software development side. The abilities now for, for a startup company, you can literally have a startup company with a very small budget and get world-class infrastructure, data, UX. It's amazing what a company can do, you know, with those cloud services. So from the, from the, the simple guy in his garage with an idea to a Fortune 500 company with, you know, infrastructure all over the place. The cloud has enabled just amazing things, and I'm constantly in awe 
at, uh, at the innovations that are happening in that space and seeing what's coming next. Best first-time advice for an IT leader? I would say for an IT leader, whether it's a new IT leader or, or somebody who's been doing this a long time, is do everything you can to avoid complacency. I like to say that the innovation and complacency can't live under the same roof. And it's so easy with the daily pressures. You know, you're getting hit daily to deliver this. This is the new fire we got to put out. We've got a new regulation we've got to respond to. We had an outage we've got to deal with. Those daily pressures, you can get in the trench and lose sight of the bigger picture. And how do we innovate? And how do we really stay current with the times? Or, or even, you know, maybe, maybe that leader, maybe he or she is going to develop the next new innovation that we'll be talking about and I'll be super impressed with. It's a constant struggle to keep your, your vision above the fray. I mean, you've got to deal with the fray because that's, that's the daily stuff, but you've got to take time to stay above the fray and say, what are we doing as an organization? What are we doing holistically? How are we innovating? What is our culture? Do we have a culture of innovation? And which is way beyond just saying, Hey, we're going to innovate that rarely if ever has worked. I've never seen it work. It's a culture. It's a mindset. And you have to consciously every day come in and commit to yourself that what am I doing today to be innovative and to change the way we approach this job in this industry. I love it. David, thanks so much for hanging out with us today. We're really excited to see what's next for Transamerica and uh, we'll talk to you soon. I've had a great time. Thank you. Thank you again to our friends at Salesforce. IT Visionaries is brought to you by the Lightning Platform by Salesforce. Salesforce just introduced the Lightning Platform Mobile, the low-code mobile app development platform that empowers anyone to easily build, publish, and manage AI-powered mobile apps for employees and for customers. Find out more at salesforce.com slash build mobile apps.